got something in common. We both know our guns. What we don't have in common is that I don't care if I live, and you do. Sean, that hurts. You're not having any fun, are you, Sean? Why don't you come with us? Try terrorism for hire. We'll blow some shit up. It's more fun. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? It's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically, we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 227, and it's the kickoff of Cage of Palooza 2023, where we spend all of August celebrating the wonder that is Nicolas Cage. Joining me this week from Made You Watch, a podcast, because she had never seen Face Off before. It's Melanie. Mel, how you doing? Hi, I am doing great. How are you, Travis? I'm certainly doing better than I was before I had seen this masterpiece. (laughs) I am doing quite well. So was this one, like, did you have any history at all knowing about Face Off? Have you seen like memes of it even uh, or anything like that? Or was this one that just kind of before your time and you just never, never even heard of it? The only, okay, I have two pieces of context for Face Off. Number one, I'm pretty sure that in community, that one episode where Abed watches way too many Nicolas Cage movies and the impression that he does, he is pulling heavily from face off. So when the guy started monologuing right away, I was like, Abed, number two, (laughs) threat level midnight on the office is such a direct parody of so many movies, but especially this one. (laughs) Oh, halfway through the movie. I was like golden face. (laughs) So this was, This movie came out in the wake of Nicolas Cage winning his Oscar for Leaving Las Vegas. After that, after Leaving Las Vegas, his next three films were The Rock, Con Air, and Face Off. And it was sort of this like triple threat over the course of two years of these action movies. It was Nick Cage being an action movie star of the 90s. And all of them are just time capsules of the 90s and 90s filmmaking. And this was, if uh, this is easily the most ridiculous premise of the three of them. And it starts, and these three movies started off with Nick Cage having to stop terrorists from destroying San Francisco with nerve gas from Alcatraz Island. It's just vague terrorists. We're not told what they want or why (laughs) they're terrorizing us. They're they're terrorists. Don't worry about it. Yeah, no, that was the 90s. You didn't need that. Um, It didn't matter. Uh, but this was, um, directed by John Woo. So if you're familiar with his movies at all, you see, you see some of his hallmarks in that we'll kind of talk about. Um, but it's crazy in your face, uh, just all out action in this. And here's one of the things that I I first curious to know, did you feel like you were watching a two hour and 20 minute movie while you were watching. Oh yes. I absolutely felt like I was watching a two hour and 20 minute movie. There was a point near the end where I like, I had to do something else. So I needed to speed it up so I could get somewhere on time. So I started watching it on 1.25 speed. And I was like, this has made no difference. As a matter of fact, I am enjoying the battle scenes more because they're not slowing every other scene (laughs) sequence down. So there, there's a John Woo uh, thing right there, a slow-mo. 
the John Woo loves his slow motion. If you've ever seen any of his other movies, like Wind Talkers does a lot of slow motion. Um, Hard Target with Jean-Claude Van Damme and the, the most amazing mullet you will ever see. Oh, um, that's a competition for sure. <laughs> uh, but he loves his slow motion. So this was a lot of slow-mo in the fights, especially. Um, a lot of a lot of that and doves. And if you notice the doves all around and at the, the end. And the Virgin Mary over and over again. Yep. Yeah, he definitely uh, uses that kind of iconography as well for, you know, whatever reason. Just because. Just because it's there. What was she saying? What was she trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, You're thinking about it more than he is. Um, <laughs> but what what's great about this movie is it doesn't at any point pretend to be anything more than it is. Which is like, we're going to take a ridiculous idea and just go for it. And I think part of what I love about this movie is that like, it just, it says, you know what? Like reality be damned, check your brain and enjoy the idea of an FBI agent switching faces with a con in order to get information from the guy's half brother or twin brother in like the most ridiculous prison ever. And it just, it never stops. I did read that the script originally was set in the future of uh, some undisclosed amount. And John Woo was like, nah, it makes more sense. It's more fun to put it present. And I think it works better having it be present day in the nineties. Yeah. Because you know what, if they tried to set it in the future, I would be laughing even more about how ridiculous it was. Setting it in present day is like, check your reality at the door is exactly it. You said it right. It's, it's just, it's a kid's movie for grownups. You know, you don't need mm-hmm. to worry about just suspend your disbelief. You're going to have fun in here. But I was wondering for about the first 30 minutes, I was like looking on IMDb and looking at like its awards and like its review, the critical reviews mostly. And I was like, did people mm-hmm. take this seriously? <laughs> was this a serious capital F film? Or are these critical reviews being ironic? And they're kind of a little bit of both, I think, in, in that like, it's IMDb rating is around a seven, 7.3, I think is what it yes. sits at, which feels about right for this kind of a movie. Yeah. It's like, if you, if you like just action, you're going to enjoy this because it's going to give you that. But also you've got John Travolta and Nick Cage at this point were both pretty big draws. Like Travolta had made his, his Renaissance. This was post Pulp Fiction. He was a big name again. Mm-hmm. He had, he had worked with John Woo a couple of, uh, a year or two earlier on Broken Arrow. Um, so he was still As a big draw. This, John Woo's name sounds familiar, but I don't know if I've seen any of his films. You you may or may not have, but you've definitely heard his name. He did. Uh, he got his start. His yeah, he got his start in Hong Kong cinema. And so he worked with Chow Yun-Fat a lot in the 80s. Things like A Better Tomorrow and The Killer. And if you, if anything, if you study enough film and you watch enough like top 10 lists, something John Woo is going to show up on there for like action sequences. He famously has one where they did a long take um, of some, these guys come out of an elevator. There's a big shootout. They go into an elevator to go up a floor and the shootout keeps going. And it was actually shot on the same set. They just got into the elevator, kept the long take going and the, the crew redressed the set. Oh. And then they came right back out. And did it. It's an amazing, like, if you're like me and you play of them. Yes, and if you're like me and you love long takes, that it's one of the best ones because of when you, especially after you learn that. Um, I can appreciate a long take because I, th- I think I've told this story on our podcast before. But when I was 16, my friend was making like a student film, and he mm-hmm. had me be like in a long take take of like a 
party and I was in the back and I was one of the only people with lines, I had to vamp a fight with my fake boyfriend for like an hour while he got the shot right. <laughs> it was cold. It was the end of October. So I'm oh. intimately familiar. And like, I'm always watching for long takes. I'm like, these actors were miserable. Maybe they not probably were. Yeah. Long takes for me are just always so much fun because you know, you know how much went into doing that. Exactly. And the fact that like, if one person made a mistake and you got to reset everything. And then when you add action into them, like long takes themselves are enough. The long take, I just did John Wick chapter four a few weeks ago. And there's a long take in that. That's like a, almost two minutes of gunfight action shot from uh, an over the top, like three quarters kind of almost video game angle. And it's Ooh. insane to think about that. Oh, that's cool. It's very That sounds cool. very neat. I should, if I'm not going to watch that movie, I should at least look that up. I should probably watch the John Wick movies. You should. They're, they're yeah, definitely worth like them. I would like them. They're great action movies. They're, the, the John Wick movies for me are a throwback to this type of movie that we're talking about tonight. These night, those nineties action movies that were especially like the first John Wick. It's that lower budget kind of mid budget action film that just takes a takes an idea and runs with it and that's what Reminded like face off of speed. yeah speed is one of those um because really after die hard there were so many movies that tried to copy the die hard formula and in the 90s there were just there were movies like no escape um and this movie and con air that just were like we're gonna have a, a silly idea like a prison island or snakes uh, on a plane con convicts on a plane was con air um, and just run with it, go with it. And who cares? Like, we're just going to have fun. And face off is one of those, like the, the idea behind it. Cause Travolta and cage don't look alike at all. They're not built no. the same. Like there's no way that we had the technology <laughs> to do that. <laughs> What's funny is, uh, one of the trivia bits was like, well, John Travolta is actually six foot two and Nicholas cage is only six foot. And it's like, that, that's still, I mean, whatever, that doesn't matter. Look, man. I'm, I'm more concerned with the love handles. How did his wife not figure build. it out? How did anybody not figure it out? Like within seconds of him not, like he's smoking, he's drinking, just, his, like his mannerisms are all completely different. Uh, literally and, just like, I'm going to be as family friendly as, as possible. I know their things did not look the same. Those things are like snowflakes. Oh yeah. No, it's, that's another one. Like, you, you know, she that happens. Multiple times. Just didn't Check care. your reality at the door. Don't worry about yes. it. Yes. Uh, I think a couple of my notes were uh, only in a 90s action movie is there one other possibility, right? Like, <laughs> there's always that one other possibility. Um, there is one other possibility. Yeah. Also, only in a 90s action movie would it be a black bag operation, right, where nobody knows anything about it except for the three people in that room and the doctor. I'm like, who is supervising this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh, the. this? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's completely I, I think I wrote who sanctioned this like three times. <laughs> um, there was one other only in a 90s movie I had, uh, but I think it was towards the end. I also had a lot of like Chekhov's items in this. There was a lot of things oh, yeah. mentioned early on. You had the Balasong knife come back. I called that knife the second he gave it to her. I was like, I know exactly how this is going to end now. <laughs> Especially because he tells her exactly how to use it. Like you stab him in the thigh, twist it so the wound doesn't close. It's like, uh, dude, like, you oh, just set up. You, yes. <laughs> uh, what was the? Uh, there was another one uh, I had. Uh, oh, Chekhov's blood type. Because um, oh. I mentioned that, and then of course, you know, 
they use the blood type later on and it's pretty uh pretty helpful that his wife is a doctor yes <laughs> yes actually um, i was watching it with my partner and they thought that the wife was going to be one to sew their faces back on to like switch them back yeah uh that was i think another one is like yeah only in this movie could you have doctors that could reverse the process that only oh, one person was able to do they brought in their best surgeons from dc that doesn't matter they don't know the procedure like you know how doctors they, work they they burned the clinic all of the information was there the equipment is gone do you know how long yeah. that probably took to manufacture oh man uh but nope just check your brain enjoy enjoy this the foolish action um like this movie has so many tropes in it that i love too like they're tropey they're tropey tropes and uh you have like the prison the the crazy science fiction prison that doesn't actually the exist the metal boots stuck to the ground that made them look like rescue heroes you know where those you know where those boots came from the super where? mario brothers movie what the one with the the early 90s mario brothers movie with bob hoskins there were the characters of the goombas Oh yeah. Oh oh yeah. There's a Super Mario Brothers movie starring Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo as Mario and Luigi. Huh. <laughs> well, I know another movie you're going to have to do for your show with Adam because uh, I know I, I will guarantee you Adam saw that movie and I'm probably sure hates he did. it. It's not good. I'll warn you about that now. But we love watching not good movies. I think my favorite movie that we've done on the podcast so far is Mac and Me. That was Mac I love me. that. That oh, was one of the Lord. best, worst things I've ever watched. So it's definitely, uh, but yeah, that's where those boots came from. The Goombas in that movie wore, uh, or no, um, the Goombas had them. And then Mario and Luigi get them towards the end is like, that's how they get their jumping ability in the movie is they wear these boots. And so they modeled and used that for these magnetic boots in this movie, <laughs> which is one thing I can Why? never unsee. Why? Um, why? I mean, I, I guess I that is why they looked like rescue heroes. They were modeled after toy boots. Yeah. Yep. Um, but that, like the idea of the, the magnetic floor and the, the prison that is just, you know, doesn't exist. Erwan, in fact, is an anagram of nowhere. Ha. Huh. And was he, he inspired. He says there something was... to that effect, right? You're yeah. nowhere now, boy. Yep, exactly. Also, uh, you've got your tropey... Um, uh, prison guard, right? He's oh my uh, god! You know the sadist who you don't mind gets killed even if he's technically on the good guy's side because he's mean. Yep, yeah, he's the yep. uh, the Captain Hadley for this movie. If you've seen uh, Shawshank Redemption, but nowhere near as scary as Captain Hadley. Um, Probably why I haven't seen Shawshank Redemption. Uh, but um, the actor that played him in this, John Carroll Lynch, is a character actor that I adore. He shows up in all sorts of stuff, and I don't know what it is about him. I just like him. He looked familiar. Which, he was in, let's see, I'm trying to think of a movie you might have seen him in. Uh, oh Volcano God, with Tommy Lee Jones, um, Zodiac. He was in Fargo. Um, John he's been in a bunch. Carol. But he's definitely, he's a he's a character actor that you, he just sort of pops up in stuff a lot. Um, oh, oh my God. He was in, he was in. Crazy Stupid Love. Yep. He was the stepsister's dad who tries to attack Steve Carell with a windmill. All right. <laughs> Another so one he, we did on the podcast. 
he's great and i love him as that uh that prison guard you had the whole prison scene uh the whole section which again was like from what i've read the original script most of it took place in the prison and that ends up only being really? like a half an hour of it which is better i think the movie's better yeah. for taking it out of that prison that would have gotten old really fast if only because uh, the set was boring like I, I there wasn't much to look at no because it was so small like it was only that one basically the one room and then uh you know they had the action sequence in there which is fine there's some fun characters in there but they're oh, not absolutely. there's not enough of them a, a young tom jane thomas jane is uh burke i love i i love that um because he just i forget that he's in this movie who's um, tom jane he was uh, in. He was Frank Castle in the 2004 Punisher. Um, he's he's been around for a while. You've seen him in stuff. Um, I'm certain that I have. But he was the one with the curly blonde hair. Oh, um, I liked him. And uh, you had um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Chris Bauer played Dubov, the the one that's getting the electroshock. Yes. Um, he actually acted with Nick Cage a couple years later in uh, Eight just- Millimeter. He was just like his pet man for a while. <laughs> he really was. Like he, he really... just kind of grunted and did his dirty work. And then and what I love about it is when they meet uh, in the prison for the first time, Dubov just attacks him out of nowhere. And like a day later, he just listens to him and follows him like a puppy. So he's like, sure. Why not? But your wife or your sister. And I bet they want you out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and that's enough. And he just goes crazy and, right. and follows him. Um, there was also a wonderful cameo in the uh, prison of uh, the doctor that says, hey, look at this. It's Caster Troy. That was John Bloom, a.k.a. Joe Bob Briggs, who was the host of like Monster Vision back in the 90s on TNT. And now he does a show wow. on Shudder called The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob. And uh, if you're into um, drive-in type movies and like cheesy old horror movies and stuff, the Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs is an amazing show. They do a double feature uh, every week um, during their seasons, and they watch old horror movies. And Joe Bob is a – he uh, – John Bloom has been a, a critic, a movie critic for like 40 years. And he's hosted – he ho- like Monster Vision was like late night monster movies on TNT in the 90s. That's fun. And uh, he's just been doing that kind of thing forever. So – and. I had 100% forgot he was in this at all. And he popped up and I was just, and I watched Joe Bob every Friday night. Uh, Don't you love when that happens? When you just forget someone was in something. Yeah. And completely forgot he was in this. So that was, that was a lot of fun. Uh, What did you think of Eve, the wife in this? She, at first I was like, ah, this is the flat wife character who we're not going to get to know very well. I, she she her acting performance was very good despite the fact that she wasn't given much more i feel like than most of these characters would be in Mm -hmm. these movies the actress kind of made a whole meal of what she was given and even when she didn't have any lines her facial expression said a lot she was good. i liked her yeah i adore joan allen who played eve and the studios wanted somebody younger to play that role and Wu and the writers fought for uh especially john Wu fought for uh joan allen and that was the right move because it doesn't make sense to have like, you know how it is. The studios want younger, bankable, whatever, because studio executives are just dumb old white men. Horrid. And Joan Allen 
to your point, it's perfect because she brings so much to that role that's not on the page. Like, you mm-hmm. know, if you read the script, the, the that character is really flat. If you read the script, I, if you were to read the <laughs> script, a lot of things would be flat. <laughs> I mean, that's true. It's very true. Um, but, the acting uh, and the direct, the, uh, just the, the overall stylistic choices really carry the movie. Well, that is what makes this movie work. And I think what makes it still work 20 something years later is number one, it's sci-fi action, but they set it present day and the sci-fi aspects of it are just the ridiculousness of like, we have a face transplant we can do. Mm -hmm. Um, Secret agent stuff. Don't worry about it. Yeah. They like tone that down, hand wave everything away. I love that. They have, they have the classic tropey scene of like, we're going to explain how we do everything to this character, but we're not actually going to explain anything. We're just going to be like, we have the technology to do this now. And with lasers, we can do this. And we're going to cut off your face. It's no big deal. That's all you need to know. (laughs) With modern (laughs) anti-inflammatories, this will take days instead of months to heal. Yeah. Okay. Modern anti-inflammatories can't even get rid of my migraine. Try again. (laughs) So I think I think focusing on the action aspects of it and then the performances. I mean, Joan Allen, but Travolta and Cage are just... I wasn't impressed at first. I wasn't. When they were playing their own characters, I was like, why is this... Cons- why are all the reviews saying that this is like some of their greatest acting performances? And then they switched and I was like... Oh. Yep. Yeah. This is John because- Travolta playing Nick Cage and Nick Cage playing John Travolta. Right, because originally Travol or Cage didn't want to do the movie because he didn't want to play the villain. He had no interest mm. in that. And they're like, No, 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 you're actually the hero for like half the movie or more. <laughs> and that, that got him in there. And then Travolta signed on and that's what I love. They spent like two or three weeks together before they started filming to just kind of like observe each other and sort of learn mannerisms. And it shows in the movie because their performances are just they're killer. They're having so much fun. That's yeah. what it really comes down to is you can tell they enjoy what they're doing and they're just hamming it up, chewing scenery left and right, doing what they do. Like Cage. Because that's just, I, yeah. That's a yeah, fun I, acting exercise. Oh, it absolutely is to act like somebody else, but still be yourself. So he's like. Be your friend. Here's, yeah. Nick Cage has to play the character of Sean Archer pretending to be Caster Troy. That's a lot to like take in and do and. On top of that, it's Nick Cage, so you know he's going to crank it to 11. Um, I think I found, I want to say, at least three or four times where he did the cage up, where he like <laughs> stops what he's doing and just make tries to get his eyes to pop out of his skull yep. and, and give the big, weird smile and just look completely insane. He did that you at least You know it's going to be a big one when times. he looks down first? Yes. <laughs> he does so the he little, gets okay, a- one, two, three. Yes. Oh, it's so good. Um, and Travolta, Travolta is so good as a villain because he relishes it. He like, does. He played the villain in Broken Arrow. He did it in this. He did it in uh, Punisher. He's done it in a few other movies. And he just seems to enjoy kind of being that. I, I have to feel like it's some kind of a release for him. Like, I get to play Sleazy, a crazy slimy. sociopath. Yeah. And poor Danny Zuko went straight in the fifties and he's been trying to get back there ever since. (laughs) 
I think slimy is the best way to put it. That is that is a perfect way. He's just like greasy all the time, and you, you don't trust him. So even if he he's sort of one of those actors that then even when he's playing the good guy, you're like, yeah, but at some point you're going to do something crazy. Like, I don't know. I just don't trust you. It's like watching Anthony Hopkins in something. You're just waiting you for tried. him to, to lose it. And... Yes. <laughs> waiting for Anthony Hopkins to lose it is another fun game. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like with with him, it's just it's literally it's just Danny Zuko in Greece. It's like you grabbed Sandy's boob. We're never gonna trust you again. <laughs> You're always gonna do something. It's true. Um, I, there's so much like the opening of the movie with that flashback uh, moment on the carousel, and again, that's all in basically the whole thing in slow motion. Um, but what kills me on that is the mustache that Cage has. That mustache was epic and you really get to see like all it's full frame for like 30 seconds it's just we're just looking at nothing but mustache and lips yep um which is a lot but now imagine seeing that because i saw this in the theater so you can imagine that's too big a mustache that's too much mustache (laughs) to handle it's like ron swanson has mustache envy of that thing you gotta put Um, some back to scale it back a bit um but it, it's a great it, it's a great opening uh i do think it maybe goes longer than it needs to like there's there's little there's very little in this movie i actually think would work getting cut because i feel like the pay from from when we get to the six years later and on i feel like as an action movie it paces itself well but as that opening movie, drags itself i feel like my eternal opinion on action movie fight scenes specifically is like oh this could have been like a couple minutes shorter this is just going on and on and people can't get kicked in the face for this long but i think that's just me now one thing is if the movie were all in normal speed it's probably about 20 minutes shorter it's probably right about that two hour mark if if there's no slow motion used yes yes (laughs) the slow motion God, there was so... I feel like that's most of it. I feel like that's the reason why. It's like, why isn't this moving faster? It's just your brain is glitching because it's like the cars were all going so slow when they flew through the air. What's happening? And and that is John Woo. He loves his slow-mo and he likes to really let you see everything that's going on. Now, one thing that it does help me to appreciate is the fact that this is made in a time before they had the ability to do any CG to oh. the action sequences to extend them so you know, there was cg that. and and like cg existed but it would i know it what would it look looked like awful and so that's about to do where everything. i started growing up with my disney movies i know what they were able to do in those movies at that time and it was not anything that could have shown up in a real movie no it looked like you mashed toy story into this Yes. Like if you can imagine that fidelity. And so, but to, to do everything in camera like that then is impressive. Like that opening um, action sequence with the plane on the runway. When the helicopter was holding it down. Yes. Oh, I love that. It's so dumb. It's so incredibly dumb that the helicopter like is hitting the, the tail and keeping it in place. It's, like, I guess that would work, but really? Well, my only question is how did he do that without the rotors hitting the tail too? Because it didn't look like there was enough clearance for that. I could be yeah, wrong. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but they had only one take of that because they actually wrecked a plane running it into a building. So 
that was a full size plane crashing into a full size building. They had one take. So they set up and this is why movies like this, part of the reason filmmaking wanted to move uh, so much stuff to CG was obviously if you screw something up, you can redo it. Um, but cost, they had to set up 13 cameras to capture and get all the coverage that they wanted for that shot of that yeah. plane hitting that for stuff because you like can't, that, I get you can't it. do it more than once. Yeah. Like, good God, I don't want you to blow up a plane for to entertain me either, but I also don't want you to do a scan of an extra's body and then put them in the background in perpetuity. There's a line. Right. <laughs> Just yeah, there to throw is. that out there. Um, but it's it's interesting to do it full scale because a movie I talked about a few weeks ago, The Fugitive, had a very famous crash scene with a train and a bus oh, the fugitive that they I did. Know. Yeah, and that was a combination of miniatures and full size. Like they actually crashed a train in that one um, into that bus, but they also used miniatures for parts of it. So it's like that type of filmmaking doesn't really exist today in the same at the same scale there we're sort of we've swung back to doing more practical effects and then digitally enhancing them but this was like no everything and some of it you can tell like when that when the plane hits that building and smashes through fireworks. the hangar yeah the fireworks you can see the <laughs> oh Which, my god i bet i could figure out the name of those if i had been looking at the labels recently like some of them some of that might happen uh, as sparks, but they still would look oh, more like sure. sparks than fireworks. Like the ridiculousness of that, or having that jet engine in the hangar just sitting there for for testing reasons. Yeah, something I don't know, but you know, it's we plot gotta make sure it still blows fire. <laughs> yes, uh, and sure enough, it does, and it'll also launch a person thirty feet, um, but not hard enough to kill them. No, only no. hard enough that you think they're dead if you don't check their vitals and just say, "I think Elvis has left the building." As we all know, someone's dead. <laughs> um, I mean, that's movies, though, right? Yeah. That's that's movie trope. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other tropey tropes I wrote down because there's here's uh, okay. This isn't a trope, but um, they get all their information at the FBI on zip disks. That took me back. A what? That disk that he gets handed and he puts it into the computer. That was a zip disk. That was like between the old three and a half inch floppy disks and CD ROMs. Uh, there was another had, thing. There was a thing in between those. It was a zip disk. It held, it held more data than a floppy disk, but not as much as a CD could hold. And is they this were where the super, name zip file came from, or is that something else? Uh, they kind of, I believe, evolved around the same time. It may have had something to do with it, but, um, but yeah, I saw that. I was like zip disks. Oh man, I used to have one of those. That's how old I. Wild. Am. This movie um, came out when I was two. Well. And I saw it in the theater as an R-rated movie. So what does that tell you? <laughs> um, also, uh, they used a, a wonderful name for one of the characters that we never see, uh, but died in the beginning. Pincus. I love the name Pincus. Pincus! I missed that. When he's uh, when he gets the bottle of champagne that he said, they said was from whatever it was, the CIA or whatever. And he, he gets all upset. He's all depressed. And he's like, no, I don't want it. That's where I was like, Michael Scott. Excuse me, Michael <laughs> Starn. <laughs> But he names off like a half dozen different agents, and one of them is Pincus. And I just love the name Pincus. It's ridiculous. Um, what was it? Oh, uh, teenager acting out um, the daughter. 
which turns that was around and he's like why are they making fun of you and she is frankly what i think is like some proto sick eyeliner if she had a better pencil oh, yeah. i see what she was going for and he's like well that's why people are making fun of you i'm like you are a bad dad yeah no totally bad dad but that was the 90s like that was that was what dads did and it was my note was teenager acting out dad who works too much and doesn't know her trophy but sure you know we need Punk we need some shorthand too she's got to yeah. have her hair sticking up at odd angles with a thousand barrettes in it because it's the 90s yep. exactly that was the look uh what mm -hmm. was the line later when it's when it's caster troy says uh, if you dress up like halloween every day the ghouls are going to come after you or something i did not um, like that line I mean, I liked no. it, but it made me want to punch him, and that's why I liked it. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was very effective. Um, what is, uh, oh, okay, all right. So I I made movies in high school around this time. We were doing our, our dumb action movies that my friends and I, I would do. I love when people make dumb action movies in high school. We stole so many things from this movie. Uh, there's the... the um, when they're circling each other, pointing guns at each other, and they do like the arm flip where they're both pointing. And then for whatever reason, they just change sides as they're circling each other. Yeah. It makes no sense whatsoever. We, we use that exactly. Like we, we would use that every time we would have a, a face off scene in a, in a movie that we were making. Face we were going to do a, yeah, we were going to do a boat chase in a movie we had because we had friends with boats. Um, we never got around to doing that. Uh, it went from a boat what chase a to it was going to be a jet ski chase to we can't do either of those. So we're just going <laughs> to like chase on foot. Um, what a missed opportunity. I, I will say, though, the boat chase at the end of this is amazing. I love that they checked off their chases. We had the plane, like the airplane chase. We had a car chase at some point, I believe. And there was also mm -hmm. a boat chase. Only thing we were missing was a train chase. Train chase, yeah, they were they chased each other on foot at one point. Um, we used almost every vehicle possible, so we didn't have trains, we didn't have tanks. No tanks, no tanks. I wouldn't have thought of tanks. The only reason well, I thought of trains was because of speed and the fugitive. See, speed and the fugitive, but tanks is because I think of because uh, James Bond Goldeneye was only a couple years before this movie, oh. and he has the tank he drives through St. Petersburg in that. So missed opportunity there, John Woo. Indiana Although, Jones also. They chase in tanks in that one. The third that's one. That's true. I think, though, John Woo doing a tank chase with all the slow motion, it's just like watching It's watching still photography at that point. You're just... <laughs> cool. what? Are you going to get across the screen at any point? No, we can't do a wide shot, John. We can't. <laughs> it would take all day. You would see the sun move. Um. <laughs> That'd be great, just watching the sun moving in the background as the tank stays in one place. <laughs> um, yeah, Travolta and Cage are just are so great. I have audio I'm going to play later uh, because they're they're fantastic. But again, some of these um, character actors showing up in in like these smaller roles that either went on to have uh, careers or they're they're there are a lot of those and '90s movies have a lot of this. Maybe it's just because it's when I grew up, so like I I have memory of seeing these faces and then they pop up in something later and i'm like oh i didn't think about that but yeah i saw you in con air for what and, and like it just gets locked into my brain but like harvey presnell is the um the old man that has the heart attack the kind of fbi director you know he shows up for like two scenes i like him he was in fargo um he was in a tv fargo. show yeah interestingly because him and 
John Carroll Lynch. He was um, in a TV show about the same time that was on the air called The Pretender that I loved. Um, It is a, yeah, it was a late nineties show about a guy who uh, is, he's a, he's a super genius that can be anything he wants to be. And he's on the run from a secret organization. That's all you need to know about the show. Um, But Harvey Presnell was in that. Um, The doctor uh, in this is played by Calm Fjord, who is another actor who kind of pops up in things a lot. And you never you never think of him from I never think of him from like one specific thing. He doesn't have that one role, but I see him in a lot or I hear his voice. Um, and I just love him because he's the tropey doctor slash scientist in a 90s action film that gets to do all of the sciencey techno babble. Just say um, the explanation and go, sir. Wear glasses and yeah. a white lab coat. You say the explanation and you probably get killed. Yeah. Yes. Um, he is, what is it? Brent Spiner in. Um, in Independence Day is that character. He's the crazy doctor who says a bunch of stuff and then gets attacked by the aliens. Um, so he plays that here. Gina Gershon uh, is Sasha. Which, oh, yes. And she got this role based off of, she had done a movie the year or so before, a Wachowski siblings movie called Bound. We um, did that on like, the podcast. Bound was one of my favorite ones. And she got this role because John Woo saw her in that and liked her. And Who I, it's true. I mean, let's be honest, but I liked the character in this. She is her and Eve are two characters that I feel like we could have almost based whole movies around, right? There could have oh, been yeah. whole stories told about both of them. And it's Joan Allen and Gina Gershon adding so much with their performance to a character that was probably just nothing just, on the page. Yeah. Just like, Oh, this is, and we need a woman, you know? Yeah. Because he has kids and that had to happen somehow. Right. Well, and that was an interesting uh, thing because her and the bald guy, um, Dietrich, who's played by Nick Cassidy. Also kids? Yeah. What's happening? They're, they're siblings. They have uh, that kiss. And there was supposed to be some background that, like, the son came out of a tryst between Castor Troy and the two of them. And so... I don't, they didn't really like dive into that much. And it was just sort of like, I think that was more of a background thing. Like these people are just weird and depraved. And so the two of them, it was actually the actors. Uh, it was Gina Gershon and Nick Cassavetes that kind of came up with that idea to have them have that kiss right before they leave. It's just like, they're just super, super close. So it's like, you can read into it as being really weird or not. I know when I was, when I was younger, I didn't think anything of it at the time. Like it just didn't register with me because there was so much oh, else yeah, going on in that scene. Um, I, I watch it, it didn't now register with me because I forgot he was her brother for it. Cause there was so much else going on. And then he was like, killed your brother. And I was like, wait, 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 <laughs> hold on a second. He is another one. He's a, he's a character actor, but he's also a director. Um, oh. And he's just having fun in this. Like he showed up on set and he'd shaved his head Um and John Woo was like, that's perfect. I didn't even expect it, but it works. And he's just playing this character this, who's, he's got like two scenes that he's in, but he steals both of them because he steals that interrogation scene early on with Travolta. He is quite a presence. He's got, it's, it's something about the way he like smiles and laughs after he speaks. Mm-hmm. It's like he yeah. fills the room up. Yeah. And I mean, he apparently ad-libbed a lot of his own lines or kind of wrote his own dialogue. Um, but he, uh, 
and and that's one of the things like he is a writer director uh first and uh but his his line in that interrogation scene hey sean how's your dead son i was like oh like that's just i mean here you're in the fbi headquarters with like a special fbi special agent you're in for questioning and you say that the cojones on this guy that killed me (laughs) for a different reason because I watched Threat Level Midnight too many times, and it sounds too much like when Golden Face goes, "Hey, Scarn, how's your wife doing?" Because <laughs> he looks the same way afterward, and I was like, "No." See, so now, now you know where it came from. I really do. I have so much more context now. By the way, he so Nick Cassavetes is a director who directed. Um, did you ever see the Denzel Washington movie John Q? You heard of that mm-hmm. one? Um, I've heard of it. It was two thousand two, uh, where he Denzel plays a dad whose son is, I think it's his son or his daughter is in like a hospital, and he ends up, I want to say, taking some hostages or something like he, because he can't pay, something like that. Yes, I've seen pieces of this movie. Okay, so that was a. He, um, Dietrich, the bald guy in, the, in Face Off, directed that. He also directed The Notebook. Oh, you know, I've also only seen pieces of The Notebook, which astounds Adam. <laughs> so, and Will. actually, Everybody's you know, that kind of surprises me. Book. Yeah. Yep. I, f- I feel like that's one you would have seen. But, uh, I'm yeah, a that's person like... who looks like they should have seen The Notebook. <laughs> you fit the profile. That's, yeah. that's what we're all saying. I'm sure um, I'd like it. I'm already obsessed with Pride and Prejudice. The Barbie movie called me out. <laughs> But I, he also uh, Dietrich also has the great moment where they go where he sh- when uh, when Caster Troy slash Archer shows up at his place, and then they give him the drugs, and he, the it's drug. the face off, the the face that was... off, like it's such a a weird scene. But again, like you could cut a lot of that out for time. Oh, but, but I you feel don't like, want to cut that. Yeah, you don't want to cut that stuff. And and he's just he's got that reaction at the end where he's like, no more drugs for that man. I also he's like that when they opened, they opened the drug bag. They made sure to include blunts, like just down on the side. Like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. this man, that's a heavy part of his. This man does not take any downers. This guy is all <laughs> uppers, one hundred percent. There is no way that Nick Cage's character in this movie has ever smoked weed. He would be calmer. no, probably not. Yeah, yeah, that's. Although maybe that's how he, um, maybe he is, and and in which case I'm I'm frightened to think <laughs> of him without that. No, give him more. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, even like it's weird. James Denton is Buzz, who is basically in the movie for like two scenes, but he gets yeah. that moment of recognition where he pulls the the ski mask off of him. And he's, he's like, I can't shoot you because you're you know you're one of you're one of my agents, but you don't know that you're one of my agents, like that kind of thing. Um, so we Chow Yun, Fa- yeah, Chow Yun Fat was supposed to be in this movie, um, but he couldn't do it. He had scheduling conflicts, so his char- the character he was going to play ended up going to Margaret Cho. Oh, wow. and I completely forgot that she was in this movie because she's not. Margaret Cho in this movie. She's playing no, an actual she's just, character. Yeah. It would it would be like today casting Aquafina in something and her being just completely like straight normal with no quirkiness to her at all. Like it feels weird 
I don't even know what that it's, would look like. I don't either. Well, it would look like Margaret Cho in this movie. Like, which I, I her face is very recognizable, but I doubted myself because I was like, I I don't I've never seen her in this context. Am I exactly. being racist? And this is a completely different Asian woman. No, that's definitely Margaret Cho. <laughs> it is. Um, yeah. Uh, there's also like one of my favorite faces in movies, and he he has no lines whatsoever. Is Tommy Flanagan. Um, I don't think he gets to speak at all. In fact, he, you only see him like in the backgrounds of shots, but he is Irish actor. Um, he's shown up in things like gladiator sons of anarchy and all this, but he's the, he's the guy that has those two big scars on his face. He's got a Glasgow smile. Oh, and he's very recognizable, but he's also a very good actor, like, uh, outside of the recognizable face. And he, he got cast a lot in the nineties as like thug or, um, you know, gang member, because he's got that look. It's sort of like, um, in fact, one of the inmates in this is uh, an actor by the name of Thomas Rosales Jr. That his IMDb list of credits is insanely long because he is, he is like, you were making a movie between 85 and 2005 and you needed a criminal or a convict or a gang member. You, he was in your movie. He was like the, um, he was just one of those guys that would show up. That's admirable. That is good, steady work. Trying to just I, honestly, get it is. for those parts. That's really smart. Yeah. Should I and, go for, like, you, terrified victim parts? I feel you like- should. <laughs> you should. You get. You keep working. You get those. You know, it might only be one day at a time, but uh, but it's day rate. So, um, but yeah, there's like a lot of. There's just a lot of those little, you know, uh those little um, like either uncredited or, or walk on sort of roles. The other one was um, Kirk balls who was, if you ever saw reservoir dogs, you would recognize his face because he is the police officer. Ah, So he's, he's most known as the police officer who gets his ear cut off in reservoir dogs. Um, But he is one of, I feel like when you have this many of people, those fame, like this many future famous people in a movie, it just points to the casting director being, Mm-hmm. really really good at what they do just being able to spot talent yeah oh absolutely uh another one and this was i had a note on um it was uh danny masterson is in this movie yeah he's the boyfriend that travolta pulls out of the car and beats up the one that was trying to get all over oh my uh, god Jamie. yes and i said and i'm like well yeah i yeah. I'm not, i guess i'm not too upset to see this uh, I had my note was Danny Masterson as the uh, <clears throat> boyfriend is prophetic because they knew something like he's they apparently knew something was wrong. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, he fit the profile and they cast him. But um, yeah, that that scene is great because that's a scene of because we're watching, you know, throughout the movie, we're watching these characters playing each other and then slowly like devolving back to themselves like mm-hmm. You know, uh, Caster Troy starts off, he doesn't, he's not trying very hard, but like he wants to make people believe he's Sean Archer, but he slowly keeps reverting to like his old ways. And so when he comes outside because he hears uh, Jamie screaming and he walks out there, he doesn't beat the kid up because he's getting all over the daughter. He beats the kid up because the, the kid says that like the dad is a wuss. So he kicks the window out and just pulls that kid out through the broken glass and beats the crap out of him on the front lawn he went out there because he thought he should he beat him up because of who he is yes 
Um, and there's a lot of stuff in this movie that's like, wow, no, no passersby saw any of this and said a word. You know, no, 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 no. He's, he's in that. Exist in these movies. No, I did like when he drives right past the house and like has to slam on the brakes and then back up because again, it's a movie. It's a, it's a movie, right? So he slams on the brakes in the middle of the road and then floors it in reverse to go backwards because that's what a normal person would do. Obviously. Um, and, and, and she waves it away by, I was wondering how long it would take before you forgot where we lived. Like, no. He's never shown anything like that before. Don't don't explain away his weird behavior. This isn't your husband and you know and you should know this. I mean, if that my first question would be like carbon monoxide poisoning maybe. <laughs> like if my, if my husband started acting that weird, I'd be like, "We need to get you to the doctor. You're being you're not being normal." That's the best part is she is a doctor and it, none of that dawns on her. That's like she right. Just... She would know. <laughs> Oh. She would be like, you're either undergoing serious mental symptoms or some you're not you. Yes. Oh, it's so she was just too happy to be paid attention to. Yeah, pre- pretty much. That was uh what they were trying to get across, and um I, I guess it worked. Um did you have a kind of a, a favorite moment, like just something where it, it, when it happened, you just you couldn't help but smile at the ridiculousness of it. Oh, I had several. I hold on a second. This is <laughs> when they were moving their faces like putting one person's face on another face especially the second time like when he no both times they had to like mush them in place and i was like why the mushing and why are we showing this that's one of the things that i was like you could have cut this out this would have been if you cut this out no effect on the movie would have happened and it was a good 30 seconds that they were just mushing the face into place i was like stop showing me this stop it stop it right now Interestingly, it's the only scene in the movie that John Travolta or Nick Cage are not actually in the scene. Really? Their characters oh, are, no, but I they had. It, would have to, it can't be them. It's not yeah. their face. It's a fake They had face. dummies. Yeah, they had dummies and made up. And in fact, Cage even said, like, it was disturbing to see the dummy of himself. I imagine. Um, and I, I would imagine so. It's almost like, uh, did you see the video um, right before Guardians? volume three came out there was a video behind the scenes there's a there's a shot in that movie where the character of nebula carries peter quill and so they made a full-size lifelike dummy of um of uh chris and but it weighed like 30 pounds and so it's karen gillen carrying it but he saw it for the first time and he's just like this is really really weird because it's frighteningly accurate and he's like, oh, that's why I had to spend the whole day doing the body cast type of thing. But he's seeing this thing. It's crazy. Like I was reminded of Chris Pratt at one point in this movie when he it was in the prison and he heard that the guy was living in with his wife. All I could think of was that line from Parks and Rec goes where he's like, he's out there living it up with my wife in the cave <laughs> training. Um, but yeah, that was that, that scene That's in the hospital movie. is the only scene in the movie that, that doesn't have either John Travolta or Nick Cage. They are one or the, both of them are in every single other scene in this movie. So, but you're right. They do definitely spend an awful long time, like laying the face down on there and then adjusting it and moving it Stop around. Stop wishing it. Stop it. No more. Cause they did, they did the same thing with the ear when they put the ear on the guy with their little, uh, their little resin 3d printer. 
which again, kind of prophetic. That's right? actually like, kind of possible now. Like it takes yeah. way longer than that, but we oh, sure. can do it. Well, there was an actual face transplant done in 2012 because of, uh, and I don't know the, the full um, story behind it. It was a trivia thing I saw pop up and I didn't have time to like really look into it, but apparently they, they didn't, it wasn't like a tra transplant between two people, but it was like regrowing or, or redoing part of somebody's face in 2012. Okay. okay. If two people voluntarily switched faces, I was about to start <laughs> that thing back where it came from or so help me. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So, so that was there a scene also, that you remembered. Another moment that I liked was when the boat chase scene, when the small boat torpedoed through the larger boat yes. and came out unscathed. That was great. That what a moment. Oh, that was speed all the way. That is speed that two, is straight. Two. Yes, that is straight '90s action glory because it does. It just shoots through that thing like a torpedo. That and and the fact that you know they had to rig up a boat that was just a shell of a boat with like a ramp in it, and just rig it with a bunch of explosives and gasoline and send a boat through there. And what's great is if you if you watch, you can see when the boat enters the other boat. There's nobody inside it. There's a right. shot where you can see it's an empty boat going through there. Um, but yeah, and just the huge fiery explosion. And you're right, the boat comes out completely unscathed and just keeps on going. Like, dude, I've seen car crashes. The smaller thing is almost never the thing that survives. That's not nope. how that works. Nope. Uh, <laughs> very, very I also rarely. Like, when he came out of the surgery, finally at the end of the movie, and he comes through the, the door, there's mist out of nowhere <laughs> yeah. not normal morning kind of mist like beauty shop beauty school dropout like type of mist like he's coming out of the fog and i'm literally the shadow has the distinct curl on it i'm like danny zuko <laughs> you've got that going on and then he shows up and it's like oh hey by the way i have our new son here uh, by Say the hello way to i replaced our dead child with this <laughs> you know the villain's child no big deal because, you know, that's how adoptions work, right? You can just right? adopt the, the kid of your sworn enemy because his mother died. And uh, told you to while you were wearing yeah. a different face. The state will say A-OK -okay to that. Yep, absolutely. That kid's not going through a lifetime of, uh, of therapy at all. At oh, all. No, 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 no. none. He stood um, there and watched everybody he loved shoot each other to death. <laughs> to the tune of his favorite songs. There's another of those tropey tropes, right? The put on a pair of headphones and suddenly you can't hear anything going on in the room. Like, yeah, dude, I I'm wish sorry. I wish that was true. <laughs> I That's do too, especially, especially when it comes to like gunfire. Although yes. this movie did win an Oscar for sound design. I saw that. And honestly, it earned it. The, I remember when this movie was coming out, I read an article about how John Woo didn't like the initial sound on set and went out to the range to a, to a firing range and re-recorded all of the gunfire sound Wow, that's for this movie because he wanted it to sound better and like, and just heavier and more impactful. And it showed like, honestly, it worked, it obviously worked. They won an Oscar for it, but I think that like, this was a movie that just had that sound like, the sound really draws you into all that action because everything's moving in slow-mo. So you need something else to sort of hold you in there. And I think the sound helped because um, yeah. it's very distinct. Like when I hear 
the gunshots in this movie because sometimes sound gets reused. Movies will reuse sounds a lot. There's a couple of them in here. There's a Wilhelm scream. And you notice after a while, even yeah. if it's not and, the ones you hear all the time. And when I hear other movies, like low budget movies that reuse uh, gunshots, I, I hear the, the face off ones quite a bit. There's just distinct uh, to this movie. I did like that the movie did have reloads. I mean, for all yes. the things that this movie doesn't have that's realistic, um, reloading weapons is one of them. Like, you don't see... It, it's weird. Like, it's a weird detail to go for. But... They kept the realism where it mattered for the action movies, in the fighting <laughs> scenes yeah. and the shootout scenes, where it belonged. Right. Although, if you notice, nobody can hit anything for half the fight, the, the shootouts either. Like, Well, that's all action movies. If everybody was yeah, accurate, the movie would be over in 20 minutes. Fair point. You got to miss um, a lot. A, a, a shot in this movie that is burned into my memory is Dietrich when he gets shot in the neck. And so he's holding it. I had it. questions, but go on. So he's holding it, right? Uh, after he gets shot, he has this moment with his sister. He turns around, and when he pulls his hand away, you see the big gaping hole. Mm-hmm. And then he turns, and once it's out of view whoever was running the the squeeze pump for the tube that was running up there just started hammering on that thing. And you just get like, you get the, the it's almost like arterial spray coming out of it, but it's just sort of like falling out of the hose. But that is burned into my brain. And I'm just sitting there like, okay, that looks to be a pretty uh, bad gunshot to the neck. How was he still talking and with no effort? (laughs) Right. Yeah, he's, I thought he's very... that he was a little bit fine. I thought he got nicked. <laughs> it's the drugs. It's all the drugs he had in his system. Drugs. That's what's keeping him uh, keeping him okay for the for the next thirty seconds until all of his blood apparently would left his body through that. I I did enough cocaine to give my sister one last weird kiss. <laughs> yep. Um, the the trope of like killing the the FBI director. Right, who's having a heart attack? Because um, who's nobody's going to notice the, the bruises. About yeah, yeah, you ought to run everything by me. You're off the case. Nobody heard that, and nobody's no. going to notice the bruising on the back of his neck or his chest. No, where he smacked him really, really hard. Uh, that don't was interesting. No, no, no. Don't think about it. Um, I just have so many notes that are like, oh, he's caging out again. Oh, there goes. <laughs> It's like, come on, come on, eyeballs, try to pop out of my skull. Come on, um, eyeballs. Top the surgical face- team to perform. <laughs> my, my partner at one point wrote in my notebook, that is the face of a psychologically well-adjusted man. There was a joke I remember hearing in, I want to say somebody, I was watching somebody review like one of the Ghost Rider films. And their comment was, if Nicolas Cage could undergo a surgical procedure to become an actual cartoon character that he might try and do that. Oh, he and would. I sort of, the guy was like Bugs Bunny. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of feel like he's, he's this weird, like he wants to have a rubber face like Jim Carrey, but he doesn't, but he's trying to, he's trying yes. really hard to. Um, and I love it. It's, it's uniquely Nick Cage to have that moment where he does that thing where he's he's like in the prison. He just got hit in the face and he's trying to pretend to be this character of Caster Troy. And he looks up and he sees the brother Pollux, which the naming in this movie, by the way, the, the character names are, are amazing. 
to use Castor and Pollux as the twins. It's like, actually, Um, you know what? You look at that guy and yeah, his name is Pollux. (laughs) Um, and, uh, but he looks up, he sees him and then he's got a, he, he does, he does, he does the look down and then look up and he's got the wild eyes and suddenly he becomes the, the other character. And it's like, it's like crazy brother energy. Like, you know, when you're, there's like a young boy who has a too much sugar or something. Uh huh. And it's like, they're in the middle of their sugar high and they're trying to be as funny as possible. It's that, yep. but it's a professional yes. actor doing it. So it's so much more intense. <laughs> it's so great. Like, it shouldn't work and you shouldn't be able to get away with it. But for some reason, he does. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful yep. every time you see it, no matter how insanely ridiculous it is. But there are actors that try and they just don't have it. There's something about Nick Cage. I think it's because you can't and, be trying. Like, it, it, has to, it has to come from within you. Yes, you have it or you don't. He has mm-hmm. that thing, and he can do that. Um, Whatever it is, uh, this just the, this movie is bonkers. If you haven't seen it before, it's worth seeking out and finding to watch. It's one that I like to go back and rewatch. Is just like I just need some dumb action. All right, face off. There we go. Like, did you see Hot Fuzz? Mm-mm. Okay, so that's that's a movie you should see. By the way, okay, um, absolutely. But in that movie, one of the characters is obsessed with um, action movies. And uh, his favorite is Bad Boys Two. Okay, one point I they have really like, like that movie. At one point, he looks at the the other character. And he's like, Point Break or Bad Boys Two. And he's like, I don't know which one do you think I would watch. He's like, No, no, no. Which one are we going to watch first? Point Break or Bad Boys Two? And like, I feel like Face Off is in that same yeah. realm. Yeah, it fits in there perfectly. I think had it been a movie that uh, they had the rights to to name drop in Hot Fuzz, they would have. Because it's just perfect for that. John Woo was was and is such a unique visual director. And his style from Hong Kong into the 90s, if you see his movies, you kind of know it. He um he also directed Mission Impossible 2. Yes, is, I did see that in his... That was like the only title I recognized in his um, list of movies. And it's unfortunate... That movie has the unfortunate distinction of being the least John Woo of like all of his movies. And mm. also, the well, it's worst. Mission Impossible. It's going to take away your personality a little. Yeah, bit and then, director. but then on top of that, it's like the least Mission Impossible of all the Mission Impossible movies. So it just it wasn't a good mix. Yeah, like, I love John the- Woo, and I like Mission Impossible a lot, but they just didn't work well together. It like seems on paper like they should, but having seen this movie now, it, I can understand why they wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Like, if he doesn't want to pull back on that. Um, I, I can't assign a word to the quality. I just I, I just know it's different. Like it's it's almost it's, whimsical, but that's not quite the right word. It's like whimsical in an action movie way. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's unique. And I love the way that his stuff looks because he he relishes in like these visual flourishes, right? Something as simple as the guy getting out of the car in the beginning of this movie. Nick Cage's yeah. Castor Troy getting out of his car, they throw a wind machine on him. So that his coat flips up. That was the moment I knew. I was like, I understand (laughs) this movie now. It's like this movie understood the assignment. And okay, you just you check out and you watch because and that's John Woo. That's the stuff that he does. And this was him getting to do an American film without as much studio interference. Like Hard Target Mm. is pretty good, but there was some studio interference in it because he wasn't as well known a property 
in the States yet. And again, I think it's dumb if you've got somebody who has made movies, but at the same time, I sort of get it because like Hong Kong cinema is a very different style of filmmaking from Hollywood. Yes. Jackie Chan's talked about that a lot. Like Jackie Chan uh, famously had said there was a, there was a shot in one of his movies where he throws a, he has like a Chinese fan, Chinese style fan that he throws up in the air and it swirls around and then he catches it. And somebody was talking about how, what a cool thing it was to do. And he's like, yeah, it's, it's not like I'm that good at doing it. I can just, I'm allowed to shoot that as many times as I want until I get the result that I want, because that's Mm -hmm. what you could do in Hong Kong. They would let him just do take after take after take until he got the result that he wanted. He's like, yes, I'm, I'm good at doing these things, but I'm not any better than anybody else. I just have the luxury of being able to do them a hundred times to get the one that works. Not as good as you think I am. I have (laughs) editors. That's like, you know, it's interesting. He said that back then, because I feel like that's the giant thing that all super social media influencers almost have to say, as like a like a, a d- disclaimer on their stuff now like remember my life isn't perfect i like you only see the stuff that i edit and show to you blah 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 there's that whole like cultural shift of like oh everybody's jealous of the influencer lifestyle but nobody has it but it's you know in miniature because it, it was just a movie it was just the movies yeah as opposed well, to it, all of society. in a way and i think i think some of it is like it's sort of it's lifting the curtain it's breaking kayfabe if you want to use the wrestling parlance of like (laughs) you're 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 showing people that what you see on screen isn't reality and it's it's very manufactured Mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that and it's very entertaining but it's not real life and you shouldn't think of it that way but unfortunately some people do and not like the you know it's still real to me damn it like wrestling isn't it's predetermined pro wrestling is predetermined oh yeah what they what they do is real the the actions that they take they're really putting it, their yeah, body it's, on the it's line choreographed fighting night. but they are fighting yeah and they're they're jumping off of uh you know 50 mick foley fell through a cage like 15 feet onto the mat it wasn't supposed to happen that way but Oof. they they legitimately like you listen to the the guys tell the story of like that particular match because it's a very famous one and mark calloway the undertaker says i thought i killed my friend like i thought i i thought in that moment i thought i had killed my friend because he fell so far and he hit so hard because it wasn't really what was supposed to happen um that i'm never gonna forget that scene in billy madison where the guy he's like all oh, the revolting blob he sat on his friend's head and killed him he was supposed to pinch my leg if he was running short on air <laughs> yeah but like you hear about you know people uh getting injured on on movie sets uh stuntmen stunt people especially um yep. it's dangerous stuff and uh so you gotta you gotta give him credit for doing that but at the same time you get to see the end result you get to see everything through the lens of what the director wants you to see. So it's important yeah. to, to make that distinction. But, and John Wu just has a very- it even happens is proof that the movie magic works. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. There's so many times where you can see something and it's amazing. Some of it, I think too, it's sort of like why magic works, like magicians doing in know, general, card yeah. tricks and stuff, is it's presentation and it's also, in some ways we want to be amazed by something. And when you learn how the trick is done, it loses that luster when mm-hmm. you, cause like I can watch, I, I, 
I don't know all magic, but I can watch magicians and there's things I can pick out. I'm like, okay, I know the method of how that's done. Now for me, even if I know the method of how something is done, watching somebody who's just super trained in doing it, I'm still blown away. Like, no, I know the mechanics of how that works. I've tried to do that and I fail every single time. Like it never, yeah. never looks that smooth. And that it's the same it thing cool. with, it, it kind of does in a lot of ways, um, which is why like I love magicians reacting to magicians because they'll do oh, that same that thing. Oh, that must be fun. They, they won't, it's like, it's like watching, um, you know, anybody who's a, a real good, like a professional at something, watching other people do it and be amazed um, is always so fascinating to me because like this person knows how much work and effort goes into doing that. You know, a, a director talking about another filmmaker or actors talking about other actors do that so much. Like it, they know what goes into it. And yeah, they have more context. That. Yeah, it's almost they like really they can do. tell us why it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And that's why you see like certain actors want to work with directors that they appreciate. Uh, Ed Norton, I know, famously said he made, oh, what was the Wes Anderson movie he did? But he only got paid like four grand to do it because he just wanted to work with Wes Anderson. Who wouldn't? So he was willing, he was willing to take that kind of a pay cut to do it. Um, but it's also why, you know, they'll go on and do like a big budget movie so he can make money. <laughs> um, but yeah, John Woo just has like, he has that, that vision of what he wants to see on screen. And he did such a good job of making it. And it's, they are time capsules of the nineties. And these, Oh my God. So it chock full truly of not stereotypical nineties stuff, but just the feel of the nineties. Like I was only five when the nineties ended, but you kind of remember the feel of a decade when you lived through it. And I watched mm -hmm. this movie and it's just like a big punch of nostalgia. Like, Oh yeah, really this is. is what it was like. Right. A lot of it. A lot of it is. I mean, I know for me, having lived through all of the 90s and being being in movie theaters like so Nick Cage for uh, the period of time I mentioned, you know, it was it was leaving Las Vegas and it was the Rock Conair face off City of Angels, which I just watched for the first time last year. Uh, Snake Eyes, eight millimeter, like of those seven movies, I saw five of them in the theater. You know, I, I went and I watched them and I can remember sitting down and like. So when I see them again, it can transport me back to that time. And yeah. they're all such timestamps of those times that I just, I love that. And then on top of that, you throw in the, the flavor of just Nick Cage being a treasure. The Cageiest. He can do something crazy like this, or if you see Vampire's Kiss and you're just like, what, what is going on here? You don't even know. But then he can turn around and he can put in a, a performance like Bringing Out the Dead, which is a lot more uh, subtle of a performance or win an Oscar for leaving Las Vegas. He's 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 just a good actor and he knows how to have fun, I think. Like he knows when yeah. to have fun with it and when to take it full serious. He does. He also uh, very much does does stuff because he's got tax bills to pay. And Absolutely. Like, I think you know, I think that when. I have this like little head theory about which scripts he picks. I think that when he takes the scripts to pick the bill, he tells his agent or he looks through them and he's like, I, I need the most batshit script you can find. Mm -hmm. Like if you think it's going to be produced. You want me attached to it? Let me read it. If it's crazy enough. Yeah, I'll do it. I you mean, know, like, look, and, even, look and, at Renfeld. What was that? Your Dracula? 
Oh, I know. I'm I'm watching. I'm finally getting to watch that in a couple of weeks. I can't. I haven't wait. seen it. I love Benjamin. I'm I'm in it for Ben Schwartz. I love Ben Schwartz. See, you've got um, oh uh, Nicholas Holt as well. I love him. He is, yeah. And so he's I'm like the main main character, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I've been wait. I had to hold off. I I was actually I had to stop myself from going to see it because. Somebody had to like, I want to, I want to come on the show and talk about this in August. I'm like, fine, I'll wait. Um, but so here's a, here's a really <laughs> crazy thing. So Nick Cage obviously does a lot of, a lot of films and there's the joke of like, he never says no. Um, he does a lot of movies. I think he's very selective in what he actually does. He just likes If he wasn't, work. he would be in way more movies. Yeah. But from 2016 to 2019, he has six credits per year. He has 24 acting credits over a course of four years. And they're what not... What is he trying like, to buy? I'm, I'm not sure if that... Because I think he had already bought Action Comics number one by then. So he got his first issue of Did Superman. Did he put an addition on his house? I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but like he did... And some of these I've seen. Like I've seen The Trust... Um, he was in uh, the video game Dead by Daylight. Um, but like, yes, I want to see, yes. I just saw, uh, I watched a trailer for Army of One yesterday because I hadn't heard of that one. Um, Neither have I. That looks crazy. He plays a character who apparently gets spoken to by God and decides that it's a good idea to go to Pakistan and hunt down Osama bin Laden. You had That's me at the... spoken to by God and then you, you sold me even more. <laughs> Also, in that movie, God is played by, um, oh, crap, what the hell is his name? Uh, Russell Brand. Why? I don't know. I don't know. But it, like, I read that, and I'm like, well, I have to watch this movie at some point. Um, yeah. You, you know, you've, you've got Mom and Dad. Mandy, by the way, Mandy's insane, and I love every second of it. It is so out there it's such a weird it's it's hard to even call mandy a movie it's like an experience because it's a, it's it's so this weird uh what is mandy about Man <sighs> um guy and his wife live off in the middle of nowhere she gets abducted by um some weird cultists and then killed and he goes on a rampage uh, but there's like super LSD involved. It's hard to explain. Okay. Um, it's a horror movie. It's brutal. It's violent. Uh, but it's amazing. So uh, I highly recommend it. If watch you're, it, but it does sound it, interesting. It's it's it really is an experience to watch. Um, but then he'll show up in like Spider Man into the Spider Verse and play Spider Noir and be amazing. I you know, forget he, every time until I hear his voice that he is in it. <laughs> Him and even weirder because he's a main character, Jake Johnson. Every time Jake Johnson speaks in those movies, I'm like, Nick, Nick from New yeah. Girl. Yeah. And like, you know, he does uh, the crudes, like family movie, you know, type thing. And then he'll it's turn funny. around and do, he'll do the crudes and then do like a movie, this weird, weird movie called Prisoners of the Ghostland, which. I saw the trailer for, and it's like some kind of Mad Max meets, I don't even know how to explain it, post-apocalyptic weirdness. Sounds like an um, anime title. kind of does, actually. 
I have I have a few audio clips I do want to play real quick because Please. face off face off is full of so many good uh, lines. Um, I mentioned this one earlier. This is Dietrich, and just again the balls on this guy to say this in the FBI interrogation room. Hey Sean, how's your dead son? Like, ooh, ooh. How's your wife doing? <laughs> I like. I okay. love when he like just laughs hysterically after. It's just the ha 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 Yes. The villain laugh. This one I had to capture because this is um, they've captured Pollux. This is right towards the beginning, and there's a shot that you see Pollux Troy. He's on the ground and he's mouthing Cass, but the sound is not the actor at all. And it was. Cass. Yeah, I thought something was weird about that. Because I'm like, that's not, that voice came from somewhere else. It did. It didn't come from that guy at all. But you're supposed to believe that it did. Uh, It was also confusing because coming from that guy, if that were his voice, it would sound more like he was saying Kaz. And I was just playing Dungeons and Dragons with my friends yesterday. And that's one of their names. And I was like, what's happening right now? Am I having a dream? (laughs) Um, You mentioned this one. Looks like Elvis done left the building. That's a that's a wonderful tropey line. Elvis Dunn left the building. Yep, Elvis Dunn. Left uh, don't check his vitals. Don't check his pulse. Don't check nope. his breathing. Don't check it. No, none of that. Pronounce no, him dead. He hit his head exactly. real hard. He's dead. Uh, I didn't capture the Wilhelm scream because everybody's heard the Wilhelm scream before. But this, I'm ninety eight percent certain, is a reused scream that's fairly uh, fairly famous. But this is from in the prison when they're making their escape and he shoots the shotgun up and he, he hits the guy's foot. So you see, you see like the front of the shoe kind of explode. Like his toes got blown off. I, I marked it as toe scream. It's this. Yeah. Yep. That's a that, monster scream. I think that's from a very yeah. old black and white movie. It has to be. And you're right. It is a monster. It's not a human at all. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I, also I definitely like had to get that. The- during the beginning of the first prison fight, something I forgot to mention, when they first, either he first punches him or he first threatens him, all of the prisoners go, ooh, like second graders. <laughs> yes. Yes. That was actually one oh. of my favorite parts. Um, John Travolta, the, one of the trivia pieces I read was that Travolta asked the, the filmmakers if this was a dig at him. And they're like, no, no, no. It's just Caster Troy would be this vein that he would make fun of it and it was uh this nose this hair this ridiculous chin this ridiculous chin that's really funny because i thought the dig was everybody know that knows that john travolta is handsome and nicholas cage is like just some guy looking guy <laughs> and so it's funny because everyone knows that he's the hot one mm-hmm. but apparently some um, people like it, it, is nicholas cage considered attractive because i consider him like just normal looking but all of these movies have, have been set up with these very attractive women. And I'm like, is that part of the whole Cage experience? I mean, or... there's some of that. Young Nicolas Cage is a very good looking guy. He, okay. As he's aged, he's become more just kind of like, a, I don't even want to say average looking because he's still he's, unique. Yeah. But he's, he's not like young him. He's very chiseled jaw. He's very like angular and he's a good looking guy. Um, like if I didn't know what Nick Cage looked like and I saw him on the street, I'd be like, oh, that's a that's a somewhat handsome man. He's pretty good looking. He's just not like movie star handsome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, not like Travolta. Travolta's got, there's something different about the way his face is structured. Cage yeah. does wear a beard really well, though. Oh, yeah, um, he does. And like older older Nick Cage with a beard works. Um, yes. There was, uh, I, I love getting these little like laughs and chuckles. And this movie had all sorts of weird sounds that people were making. Um, this was Travolta. <laughs> Just that little, ooh. Like, that is classic Travolta. There's there's that one, and there's also. Wait, you get licking. I love Again, that. Again, classic Travolta. Um, I love this line because it's just, this has only ever existed in a movie script. It's like looking in a mirror, only not. <laughs> Why was the mirror there? They turned around and I expected them to be facing each other. And oh, surprise, there's another wall that neither of them saw. Yeah. Um, there was an alternate ending to this movie that showed Archer go home and we're seeing him. But then he looks in a mirror and the reflection is Nick Cage. Ooh, and they ended up they ended up cutting that because they're like, eh, let's go with the happy ending of like, no, he definitely got to have his face back and he's himself again. Um, as opposed to the sort of this ambiguous of like, did he? Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? But instead, they went with the ridiculousness of like, here's our new son. <laughs> At a certain point is... through the movie, when he was presented with like the new baby son that the lady had, and also like he, the other guy was like slightly parenting the daughter better, I'm like, are they about to do like a wife swap situation? Like, is this going to be some <laughs> weird happy ending where he decides to become a criminal and he decides to become an FBI agent and no justice is served? <laughs> Because that would be weird, I mean, but that wouldn't be '90s. No, that would be that would be something that would happen today. Yes, right. That would be the trope subversion uh, today. Um, plan B is all I have for this one. Oh, plan uh, B. Plan B. That was a good line. Let's just kill I each like other. that. Yeah, let's just kill each other. <laughs> I cut it off. Oh no! I thought it was over. Ah, uh, there was a long pause. Don't worry about it. It was a very long um, pause. That was a really good line, though. It was. Uh, another just fun Travolta is ism. <laughs> uh, <wee! laughs> what a predicament! Again, He's, you know, like how much fun is he having at that point? He kind of sounded like Jim Carrey did? there a couple times. He did. He had a little bit of that. How many takes do you think he did for that? You think they did one? No, the we that had to be like at least twenty takes. If he even if he was just saying the we part, I'm with you. Um, although he was known as one take John on the movie, but yeah. that like that you've got to do more than once. You can't do that, a wee. no for your own fun. You're doing that we more than once for the editor's fun. Like yeah. you have to give them some choices. <laughs> they gotta have something to do. Um, I don't remember what this one is. I hate to see it go. I love to watch him leave. Just the creepiest of creepy. Just like, yeah, let's throw in some lines to make sure everybody knows how slimy he is. <laughs> we don't like this guy. Remember, we don't like this guy. You're not supposed to like him, audience. Daughter, that was oh, so... God. But there was also a moment where I was like, mm, his daughter in the back of her mind is like, I'm confused. Is dad daddy now? <laughs> um... Let's see. Uh, not, so now we've we've heard Travolta do Travolta. Now we've got to get some Cage being Cage because it's not a Nick Cage movie without something like. Casein fit like a condom. 
Yep, that stood out. Um, that stay away from downtown on the 18th. It's going to be a little um, smoggy. Yep, that was a movie line. <laughs> that was a 90s movie line. Oh, it's so good. Um, I got you know, this one just because... Smoggy, when John Travolta gets out of his uh, face-off surgery for some reason and walks through the front door. Yeah, yep, there's going to be mist. Smog. Somebody is following him with a smoke machine. We don't know why. It's a side but, effect. Yeah. <laughs> the side effect of... <laughs> the side effect is a guy with a smoke machine that follows you. We don't know why. It's just he's always within five feet of the face. I'm sorry. I don't, I, we weren't watching it at all times. <laughs> um, this one's just called Yeti. And I think it's just because they use the word Yeti in the movie. And so if it's not in, in context of an actual like movie about a Yeti, it makes me laugh. I don't even know why that f***ing Yeti jumped me yesterday. <laughs> and it's funny because he's calling him a Yeti and like Dubov is like six inches shorter than him. They're making. I'm like that height difference isn't right. You're the Yeti. No, you are totally the Yeti to that guy. (laughs) Um, it's like, did they just they were gonna cast somebody that was six seven and decided not to? I guess like the character was (laughs) written to be that, and they're like, nah, this guy's better. Um, okay. Like he was exceptionally hairy. I would have accepted that. Yeah, but he was balding, so that doesn't even work. No. I would bald eagle. No, not even. That's a, that's a compliment. Move on. <laughs> um, this I have just labeled as cage noise. So <laughs> this should be fun. <laughs> what do you think that's the direction the was for that? Yeah. I don't like, think there was direction for that. I think he was like <laughs> roll camera or it was part of the scene and he just made the noise. Like, I do not think anyone told Nicolas Cage to make... The, I don't think he has to be told to make those noises. No, That's probably, probably part right. of the package. They they did say that he didn't like seeing the makeup for when he had no face. So they, like, made sure there weren't reflective surfaces. I and, also like, didn't like on seeing set. that. No, it was... they. I am glad they didn't overdo showing it. Like, they would give you the flash and then move away yeah. from it. And it makes it worse. Like, it makes it so much worse to just see Your brain fills a in half a second of it. Yeah. Um, this one also is labeled cage noise. So, uh, there's just more cageisms. Oh, that's him. Die. Die. <laughs> uh, I have one called Laugh-ish. So, I think I remember this. <laughs> It's the squeal. Okay, I can, take you, I can take you exactly through the sequence of noises that was. That was the beginning of the Joker's laugh from the Batman movie where he falls off the roof, the one with Michael Keaton. Um, mm-hmm. And then it was a dog crying, and then it was a hinge squeaking, and then it was some kind of prehistoric pterodactyl. And then I think yeah. it might have been like a little hiccup. So I'm pretty sure that they, they must have used Nick Cage for Jurassic Park sound effects. Right. Like just had him come in and record. Like Nick, we need a Velociraptor. All right, I got gotcha. you. No, no problem. No, no problem. I can do that. Um, and then you can't, you cannot capture audio from this movie without the following sound. I'd like to take his his face off. 
face. At that point, oh. I wrote in the top of my notebook, they said the name of the movie. <laughs> it's the, uh, you know, oh, there's the title, roll credits. Um, which then followed up with, uh, with Dietrich just saying, no more drugs for that man. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good line. Such a good line. Oh, this movie is just fun. Did you have fun with this? It sounds I like, I mean, it sounds like so you had much fun. fun. It was dumb to the max, but I love those movies. I had so much fun. And, and that's the thing with like an action movie, especially nineties action movies really wanted you to park your brain. And we're just like spectacle, right? We're just going to have insane stunts and things blowing up for no reason whatsoever. And you're going to have fun with it, but they're doing it in such an earnest way. It's not like this movie doesn't work if you're trying to make it as a parody. If you're trying no. to make it tongue in cheek, you have to make this movie believing you're making like just a badass action movie and let the silliness come out. Because that earnestness of the way it's made is what makes it work. Otherwise, it's funny for like two years and then it becomes dated really quickly. Yeah. And that's why I don't like like traditional parodies like that. I like I go see them maybe when I have particular ire towards something as like, a, mm -hmm. okay, other people feel the same way as I do. But usually it's just like, no, true, it's so bad, it's good, it has to come from a place deep within the human psyche. It's There's a yes. reason that it's so bad comes around, back around to it's good. And it's it's intimately connected to the fact that, okay, somebody cared about this so much that they put it on a camera. Yeah, like I am firmly of the opinion that parody works when you are taking the piss out of something that you love. Hot Fuzz is my my number one example. Hot yes. Fuzz is a movie where uh, Sean, um, where uh, Simon Pegg and uh, and um, why is his Edgar Wright wrote that movie, and you can tell they love these cheesy '90s action movies. And so they took everything that those movies had and they put them into this, but it was all done out of like poking fun at the ridiculousness of it, but having fun with it. Whereas bad parody are your disaster movie, epic movie. These movies where they just take the low hanging fruit, they poke at that and there's no real like love for the, su the source material. Yeah. You know what I just realized? That's literally what love is. That's what it is. You take something, you're like, look at all the flaws in this thing. Aren't they great? When you love something or someone for their flaws instead of in spite of them, that's real love. And that's why good parodies born out of love last and hateful parodies crash because nobody wants to watch something that's not as, not genuine the way a hateful parody is not genuine. Yeah. People want to watch and things that are born out of love, even things that are born out of, I love how stupid this is. Yeah. And that's why, you know, Edgar Wright in his Cornetto trilogy worked so well because he loved zombie movies. So he made a silly romantic comedy uh, with a zombie movie backdrop and put, you know, poking fun at all of the tropes while saying, yes, but they're also wonderful. Uh, that's why Airplane You're as a parody You're still sitting here, works. aren't you? Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, Airplane as a, as a parody of like disaster movies works because you could tell they loved those movies. The Zucker brothers did and their jokes lasted because they weren't the low hanging fruit. Um, no. You had to have a knowledge first, of what you were yeah. writing about to write the jokes. Yes. The first scary movie actually did pretty well with that. 
Um, I think subsequent ones, the first maybe two of those you are know what okay, it was? but after because that. I bet it was studio interference. I'm sure the studio saw the success and was like, oh, a format we can copy. But it's not It's not going to be done out of love. It's going to be done out of studio executive, which is like the opposite of love. So Same same reason that like horror movie franchises keep, you know, will, will most often have diminishing returns because they pump them out too quickly or the copycat ones that don't work because they take the wrong, um, they take the wrong lesson from what you're copying the monsters. Yeah. Like what made Halloween work? They didn't get that. They were just like, Oh, low budget slasher movie. We'll just pump out a bunch of those. And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, some of those are going to be middling to okay, but they're not going to reach that high watermark because they missed what made that work. Um, you have taken the parody, and I'm sad. Yes, exactly. Um, and like these '90s movies, just knew what they wanted to do. And this, if you enjoyed this, uh, I definitely recommend things like Con Air, uh, The Rock. If you haven't seen that one before, um, Adam no has Escape. been telling me to watch these those two specific movies for what feels like a year now. I think. Those two are great. No Escape with Ray Liotta is another one of those. It's a prison island. Basically, it's set in the future. Guy is like the worst of the worst, so they send him to the prison island, and then he helps. Uh, there's there's people on the prison island that are good versus the ones that are bad, and they have I like a, a turf war. So that's a great one because, again, it's one of those kind of higher concept silly ideas, but they just they really went for it, and they just want to make something that was – that was uh, that was fun. So those kinds of those kinds of things are great. And I think I like those. It's what made the first like the first Expendables was trying to do that in a way. It was sort of Stallone being like, I want to make another one of these, you know, action movies. And I want to get a bunch of my friends together to do it. And let's see how many action 80s and 90s action stars we can pack into one movie. That's um, fun. And, and it is a lot of fun. And I miss seeing some of those kinds of movies because I feel like today we either in theaters you either have super mega blockbuster or like tiny little art house movie like it's yeah. either a marvel Something's movie missing. or it's there's the the middle is missing that middle part of the like I mid-budget need, action all of the movies that i see don't need to be accompanied by like months of fanfare you know like it no. can just be a movie i would love for it to just be a movie i feel like they're trying to get back people back into theaters with like events and like they are I get they the are. concept, but also there's a lot more going on here. And if y'all would just make movies, I'm pretty sure things would pick up again. Mm-hmm. And not everything needs to be like, not everything needs to fit into all of these single categories either. Like let's no. get some, just let's have those movies that are like the fun action movies. My problem is that those tended to get started getting relegated to direct to DVD and then direct to streaming and, and who's even going to watch them? Yeah, and, well, and what ends up happening there is there's so many of them getting pumped out that we it, you have to sift through to find the ones that are worthwhile. Whereas it used to be there was a time where this type of movie got made and the knockoff versions of it or the cheaper versions of it, you sort of already knew that because they were the ones that were direct to video. And, and I've so kind of you, been reading up a lot about this recently, like in the wake of the strike and everything. And it seems to me like a, part of the reason that that stopped happening was bigger studios gobbling up the smaller ones that would have been making those movies. 
and yeah. having control over the marketing or just telling them not to make them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have seen like there's been the renaissance uh, in the last, I would say, five to ten years in horror with yeah, studios like Blumhouse and A24 especially have been putting out really good low to mid budget type movies where that major studios aren't going to do. Or yeah. like I just saw Talk to Me, which was A24 put that out. They they you know caught it at a at an Australian film festival and distributed it and it's that that movie was really good um mm. but it's kind of it's the type of movie that if you don't have a place like a24 or blumhouse to put that kind of thing out it just we wouldn't see it we would never know about it so i'm glad we're seeing that in horror i'd like to see that come back in some of the action cinema too and that's Renew where i think the this... accords split the yes. studios back up oh i would like that and i would like the you know obviously I am going to be on the side of SAG-AFTRA and the Writers Guild in terms of like these strikes, like pay the obviously, like absolutely pay the people because I love good entertainment and you're not going to have that without good writers and and actors. Yeah, no, and And it's also just if you read the comments from the studios executives, just the things that they think that they're asking for are insane, and it's just like you are out of touch with reality. I don't know what conversation you thought you were having in the room, but I guarantee it's not the one that Fran Drescher was having. No, and, you know, when you read trivia about a movie like Face Off, which is 25 years old, 26 years old, and the things that studio executives wanted in that at that time, and it hasn't gotten better, like no. they wanted, they didn't want Joan Allen, they wanted somebody younger. They didn't want, um, there was some other actor that they didn't want and Wu had to fight for, and they wanted like, they wanted a uh, an actual romance or romantic scene between Nick Cage and uh, as Archer Troy and um, Sasha. Nah, like they wanted that to be a thing. Yeah, that doesn't work. We don't need that, and that character wouldn't do that either. Mm-hmm. Like we got as close as we needed with the way the story was being told. So, like, there's all that kind of stuff where it's it's studio executives saying, "Oh, we need to have that here," um, and they're it's always why, saying like, the same things yeah. since before I was born. They've been saying the same things. It's like, dudes. When are you going to realize that the films that succeed are doing it in spite of you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And unfortunately, they have the money, and that's the hardest part of it. So I, I'm hoping that, you know, these strikes can go. Uh, they're going to go on as long as they need to, and I'm fine with that. But I, w- I want to see, you know, the actors and the writers and everybody. It's a collaborative process. All of these yes. creatives deserve their, their piece of that collaborative pie. And just give us good stories and keep them. Stop interfering. If you, if you are not a creative person, stop just because you're signing a check doesn't mean you get to say how the movie is being made. Let hire a director and let them do their job. Stop getting in the middle of it. Stop going down there. Just don't look at it until it's done or until it's nearly done. It's, it's the, you know, it's the, the Jerry Jones effect, right? As the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, but he wants to, he wants to be making decisions. Like, no, 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 you stay up in your luxury box and just sign checks and let the people you hired do the jobs you hired them for. This is an investment, sir. You're playing like small dice and gambling here. You're not suddenly a football (laughs) man. Like you didn't get to cast a magic spell and now put on the helmet. Your money can't buy everything. Exactly. And unfortunately, these guys need to learn that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think we need to get more, just more diversity in the money people. 
That's another yes. big thing. Oh, and then, I mean, that's another reason to renew the Accords because you can't get more diversity in the money people when everything's getting laterally bought up by like five companies. So like mm -hmm. the people in charge are going to be five guys who are going to get progressively worse the more zeros get into their bank account. Yeah, yeah. And it's why I, I really enjoy seeing, um, you know, the, the stuff that's coming out that even if it's a movie that I personally am not interested in, like, oh no. um, if it's a, if it's a thing that I am not personally like latching onto in terms of the theme or the story, I still want to see, you know, directors, producers, writers, uh, stars all of this of a diverse background yes oh obviously yeah i so, cut out in the middle there i think by the way i don't oh. know if that happened for you too but my my screen just kind of blipped nope away. you're you're I'm fine back. so okay well uh, seriously thank you so much for being on this was a ton of fun and i'm so glad you got to see this movie and Me by the too. way real quick con, con air and face off we've mentioned those a lot tonight they mm -hmm premiered in theaters three weeks apart because they were shot they were shot basically consecutively he did con air and then he rolled right into face off and con air hit theaters like june 6th and uh face off was june 21st ah uh, to and, be a reporter that summer <laughs> and both of them made over 200 million dollars in 1997 so wow Nick Cage was a box office bankable star, like star at that point. Wow. Um, but I am, I'm so glad you got to see this and you need to dive down more than Nick Cage. Um, I will happily do so because the man's <laughs> crazy in the best way I can imagine. Thank you so much for having me on and for making me watch again, the masterpiece that is face off. <laughs> Now, I know when I talked to Adam a few weeks ago, um, he said that you you all were going to be looking to get Made You Watch going again. I know some things have happened since then, but uh, is that still kind of in the pipeline of something you want to get going? Yes. We're on hiatus. We've been on hiatus. It's been a rough time, Adam and I, finding jobs in this market. Um, mm -hmm. I had one. I lost one. I'm looking for one again. But we want to get it going again now that summer is kind of in full swing and we've got our our travel out of the way so no official announcements as to when we'll be back yet but i will tell people who are interested to follow us on twitter or whatever the hell it's called now no no you know what <laughs> screw that i refuse to call it whatever the heck elon musk wants me to call it if he refuses to stop dead naming his own child i'm going to dead name his website there you go. Um, so you can follow us at made you watch a podcast um, on Twitter. Um, follow me at spoopity boop and I will spell it out because it's a silly Twitter name S P O O P I T Y B O O P. And you can follow my co star Adam ad underscore mock and we will be announcing when we will be back. Excellent. And in the meantime, you can go back and listen to old episodes. It's a fun show. Yes. I mean, I love the concept. Anywhere you can find your podcasts. I am in my late 20s. Adam is in his early 40s. We did not see most of the same movies, but we love sharing them with each other. Yeah, I love that idea. It's a, It dovetails off of what I do here really, really well. And it's a, mm -hmm. I enjoy, I really enjoy this kind of thing where I get to show somebody something that either I have seen before or I have a connection to. 
And I love being on the receiving end of that as well. Uh, I just got to do that a couple weeks ago with my second ever Wes Anderson film when I saw The Life Aquatic for the first time Ooh. and just loved it. And my two hosts or my two guests, Amy and Phil, it was like their favorite movie. So they got to That's be... So they, they got to make me watch that and I had such a blast and I was like, I just want to watch everything Wes Anderson now. Um, and so I love that concept. So made you watch a podcast, check that out, follow them on Twitter. And uh, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for being here. Now, this is only week one of our celebration of Nick Cage. Next week, Run Jump Stomp, aka Bill, is going to be here and we're going to talk about another fun Nick Cage movie that had me at hello with this description. I'm gonna read you the IMDB blurb about this movie. Every six years, an ancient order of jujitsu fighters joins forces to battle a vicious race of alien invaders. But when a celebrated war hero goes down in defeat, the fate of the planet and mankind hangs in the balance. That is 2020's Jiu-Jitsu, starring Nick Cage with Tony Jaa and Frank Grillo and Juju Chan. I did alien fighting jujitsu warriors. I'm in. I'm sold. Let's watch. It's crazy, and I I can't wait. It's going to be bad. In 2020. Insane. When in 2020? Yeah. I feel like that's very important to know. Um. What, what? Well, let's see. What month did this get released? Do 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 do. Uh, November 20th, 2020 was its debut. That is exactly what I was hoping for. Just <laughs> middle of the pandemic. This is the weirdest thing. You can tell like, well, when we film this thing, we might as well put it out. We got this sitting on the shelf. Let's just. Exactly. Put they some were spit and polish waiting. on it. Oh, that's perfect. Shine, shine that one up and send it out there. So jujitsu is next week. Uh, as we continue Cage of Palooza 2023, and I can't wait. And Bill is a great guest. It's been too long since he's been on. He was actually on, I want to say, the first year, uh, first or second year of Cage uh, Cage Fest. So it'll be fun. So that's what's coming up next week. This show I do record live uh, Sunday nights, usually around 8 p.m. Eastern time. Um, and uh, you can also catch it as a podcast Wednesdays, anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, I have a YouTube channel. It's uh, youtube.com forward slash at TV's Travis or any social media platform, whether it be uh, Twitter, uh, Mastodon, Blue Sky. I think I'm on threads. I know all of them. If you search TV's Travis, it's me. Um, I'm active on some more than others, but I'm on all of them. Um, TikTok. And I put little clips from the shows uh, up on TikTok. I have some fun with some of the dumb AI filters on there too, like like just just dumb dumb stuff. Like turn me into a we Mad Max character. TikTok. I don't know oh. why they kicked us off. They didn't tell they're, us what we violated. We didn't post weird. any clips from any movies. I don't know what we did. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, so I'm all over all that kind of stuff, and uh, and still working on getting the YouTube dedicated shows um up and going so be ready for that uh there's also a patreon patreon.com slash wyhs you can support this show for as little as a dollar an episode you get early access to any video content as it uh gets made uh and you can find all of this at tvstravis.com links to all the shows the merchandise the patreon all of that is there uh the wonderful site that was uh, put together by my friend bombats uh, he designed it for me so check that out but next week jujitsu you're going to want to be around for that because it's going to be get if you thought face off was weird i think we're getting weirder i think we're getting crazier and i can't wait uh so 
Melanie, thank you so much for being here. This was a ton of fun. And thank you, Travis. And until next week, just remember to enjoy your movies, especially those with Nick Cage in them. And uh, let's be excellent to each other. Excuse me, I have to use the little boy's wee-wee room. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>